Our scripture reading today is Psalm 138, which we will read together from our Psalter, page 853 and 854 in the hymnal. I will be reading the light print, and you will respond reading the bold print. Together with the choir, we all sing the red R, the response, and we begin with the response. This is rather complicated. <laughs> <laughs> give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and faithfulness. For you have exalted your name and your word above everything. On the day I of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For the Lord is high, but regards the lowly. Yet knows the haughty I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. O Lord, fulfill your purpose for me. O Lord, may your steadfast love endure forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands.
Thank you.
I was chatting with somebody recently, and he said that our congregation was basically a, an organ and a choir-style church. And having not really you know, thought about our identity like that before, it, it kind of took me by surprise, and, and I, I started to blurt out, well, wait, 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 wait a second, we're, we're this and we're that, and, and all these different things that come to my mind as to the vibrancy and, and vitality of of our church, but the, the more I, I stopped protesting, the more I started to, to think, well, in, in today's terms, maybe, maybe that is an apt definition. When you think about the various churches in the community and all, maybe this would be an accurate way to kind of describe uh, just very quickly what kind of church this is. This is a church that is that's grounded in music. It's grounded in organ music and in choral music. It is a, perhaps a truthful characterization of us. And that is because music uh, is important to us. Uh, one of our parishioners uh, left last, um, just a couple of days ago, mentioning that as great as the music is at this church, that he would still be glad just to worship God without music. And, and that's true for all of us in all of our experiences. The, the connection with God is a powerful one in a variety of ways. Yet music enhances it for, for so many of us. And, and that is why I think we've gravitated to this church and have stayed with this church or sung in the choir for decades is because music has been an important part of what the religious experience has been for us. Garrison Keillor uh, wrote some words about we Methodists and our music. And he said, it's natural for Methodists to sing in harmony. They are too modest to be soloists. And they are too worldly to sing in unison. When singing in the key of C, and they slide into an A7th or a D7th chord, all 200 of them, it's an emotionally fulfilling moment. By joining in harmony, they somehow promise that they will not forsake each other. Music is a primary function in our human life. Oliver Sacks writes that it is something that binds us together in a collective sense, in a communal, tangible sense. That actually, it seems as if there's a connecting of our nervous system. So we start to be in sync with one another as we are in sync with the music. Getting people to sing together, to gather together, to appreciate music, helps people to connect to one another through a shared experience. Like how many of us don't talk to each other at being at the 68 Dead concert? <laughs> we say that, we know what we're talking about, and we're forever bonded. What, Grateful Dead doesn't work for the rest of you? Um, for Chris it works. Um, the Barry Manilow concert in 72. Do you all remember that concert? Oh, 
we were one with the music and each other. Thanks to Barry. We are drawn together. We connect with one another through music. We, we get on a similar wavelength, and, and sometimes we find ourselves rallying together um, powerfully to a common cause because of or helped by the music. Keeler is, uh, is funny, but he is spot on, really, about the power of music in people's lives. Uh, you might enjoy, if you haven't yet, uh, opening the hymnal to italics page 7, VII, where uh, there's a reproduction of some notes from John Wesley, uh, advice for the Methodists on, on how they're supposed to sing. You're supposed to sing loud, but you're not supposed to be bawling. Don't sing out so that everybody else hears you and not everybody together as a whole. We're supposed to be a team here singing. Uh, yet you want to sing lustily, he says. And um, not quite sure where we're going with that. Um, <laughs> nowadays, I'm guessing that must mean with energy. Uh, with energy and, uh, you know, spirit. Music undergirding the religious experience goes back millenniums. We, we think back in our own religious tradition to uh, David, the one we attribute the authorship of so many of the Psalms to. Uh, we're told stories about David and the ark, about how David danced in front of the ark and sang songs of praise to God. We're, we're told that in that early movement of our forebears, the Psalms were an important part of the worship experience. They, they started, they held together the middle, and they ended their worship with the singing of Psalms. The Psalter, which we call today, you might consider the very first hymnal of our religious tradition. When the early church movement was talked about in uh, our scriptures, they, they talked about the, the group of folk gathering to share meals together. I'm sure that was the first potluck. They, they had potlucks in the beginning. They had uh, the listening to the scriptures, somebody talking about the scriptures, and they sang together. It's talked about their sharing in the singing of hymns. Worship was a, a major part of the early church's life, and hymns were a part of that worship experience. We thank the patristic period for sophisticating the worship experience with a, a more musically grounded mass and the, the inspiration and the beauty that came from the devising of chants. Um, we Protestants aren't uh, big in chants. You're probably very thankful that I don't chant the... Uh, Communion liturgy, uh, I'll assure you I don't know how to do it, so it's not something that I could do even if I wanted to, but some churches do that, and it's, and it's glorious, and, and maybe you were one of the millions that went out and bought some chants CDs uh, about a decade and a half ago um, when chants became very popular. If you haven't listened to chants, uh, you should. Um, it's glorious uh, music that... Um, if you open yourself up to it, can really uh, uplift um, your spirit to a place that feels like mystery, um, but feels divine. 
We're celebrating the 500th anniversary of Luther this year, and we thank Luther for a couple things. One of the things we thank Luther for is getting the worship experience in the vernacular of the people worshiping. Uh, we're thankful for that so that we worshipers know what the priests are saying rather than just being spectators to uh, that experience that's going on. You actually can read the scriptures yourself. It isn't just the priest that's letting you know what's in the scriptures. We're thankful for that. But we're also thankful for Luther recapturing hymns and bringing them back into the worship experience so that that early Protestant movement was one that was using hymns, again, that the congregation knew and sang. We thank Luther for that. We thank Charles Wesley for hanging out at bars. <laughs> Apparently he did, and he knew what people were singing in the bars of the day in London, and he took those melodies, this is John's brother, he took those melodies and he turned them into hymns of the church. And many of the hymns we sing today, if we were 300 years younger, we'd have a pint of uh, ale with us and maybe using different words. Um, Wesley is a perfect example, if you can get beyond my kidding on this, a perfect example of looking at the cultural context of his time, deciding that the church's movement needed to impact the regular folk of society who weren't paying attention to what at that time was the stodgy Church of England way of doing religious expression. He saw a lot of energy in those bar songs. And so he grabbed those melodies and he wrote religious language to them so that the people who were familiar with those songs could actually sing stuff they knew and enjoyed but were taught a little bit of religion at the same time. It's a marvelous example of not rejecting what's happening in your cultural context, but rather seizing the opportunity that's there in your cultural context and making the most of it for the movement of Christ. It's what is before us, what we also need to do. Some of us would not be very happy if I broke into a rap song. You might actually say, what? That doesn't belong in a church. Yet if the language of that song was something that glorified the importance of co-equal relationships, of the power of God to redeem life. Black Eyed Peas, where's the love? Now that dates me, that's 15, 20 years old or something. But that's, uh, that would be accessible to us, I think. And if you were to look that up on iTunes and hold on as you listen, you will hear words in there that, for the most part, would make you think, hmm, there's something happening here. Something's happening here with that music. We're a musical species, as well as a linguistic one. Actually, 
you don't want to listen up to this. There's been studies done on five-month-old babies that they respond more to music than they actually do to words. Who knew that? Well, we all know that now. They respond to music more than words. And those that break out in dance, well, break out in doing this, I'm guessing, <laughs> is what the researchers meant, kind of respond to the music with, you know, kind of feet motions or hand motions. Those are the babies that smile more than the babies that don't. They seem to be happier babies. It's an interesting observation, the importance of music. At that basic, basic level of five months of age. So we want to thank the, the music folk of our church that, that help us to have that experience of music in, in our lives, though we may be people who have accumulated a, a good number of years in our lives. We still are people who are benefiting from music, perhaps benefiting more than you know. I came across from research about the relationships of music to intelligence, to mood, and to health. I was fascinated to learn that music improves our brain functioning and increases our intelligence. Actually, children who have played a musical instrument for three years have an increased IQ and verbal ability functioning. They concentrate better and they are able to retain information better. So I, I recognize that there's a lot of smarty pants in this church that may not have been playing the violin or clarinet for three years as youngsters. But I, I just want to say to you, you know, you would have been a lot smarter <laughs> than you are now if, if you had gone with mom and played that piano for three months and not rebelled like you did getting mom to let you off the hook. That's fascinating. Think of that, young moms. Think of that, grandparents. Find ways. Find ways to engage the youngsters in music, not just listening to it, but making it. And have that be a consistent thing in your household where you're making music. And hopefully you're making some good music that's not just discordant. And that music will cycle in with brain waves. Uh, it's amazing research, yet I'm not making this up. This is truthful stuff. Be wise to pay attention to. It improves our mood and it handles our anxiety. We all know that if we're kind of bummed out and we listen to some music, or if we're feeling good and we listen to some bumming out music, how we kind of get depressed, um, it can be cathartic, can't it? And sometimes if we're feeling sad and we listen to uh, Billy Joel play one of his ballads, you know, a little, you end up feeling maybe a little bit better once that's over. It's cathartic to a bad mood and it can be uplifting of a, a good mood. But I didn't, I didn't know if you knew that it increases serotonin and helps to alleviate depression. That music lowers the cortisol levels that we have and helps relieve our stress. 
So this is listening to Chopin. It's listening to Mozart. It's, it's probably not ACDC or Van Halen or... Um, I, it would, Zeppelin would work, though, for me. Zeppelin would work for me. Um, it, it has to be a music uh, that you're open to. It has to be a music that uh, is pleasant creating of that feeling for you. Um, if you listen to that music, though, your cortisol levels will go down. Your serotonin levels will go up. The dopamine that we love so much in our brains that we reward ourselves with for good stuff, that starts being secreted when we listen to um, good harmonic music. And not only that, music helps to relieve our pain and to speed our healing. There have been studies done on heart patients where they have had a regimen of music consistently administered to them, and they have had lower blood pressure readings consistently and a lower heart rate. This is uh, science. The blood immune system is increased. Endorphins are secreted as a response to music. It helps us deal with pain. I will, though, confess that I had uh, oral surgery uh, this Monday, and Monday night I was having a really hard time, and so I, I put on some earphones, and I was listening to some uh, Mozart, and the drugs are better. <laughs> the, the drugs really, really work if you get the right ones. Um, but the research is true that music, if you're able to focus it, and really if you're just a really good meditator, if you're able to cause your attention to be paid somewhere else, you can help yourself to manage your pain. Music, as you're listening to it, helps to distract you from where your brain might go, which is dwelling on your pain. And that's, that's how it helps with pain, besides these secretions that are going on in your body. Well, the implications of all this far-reaching research underscores the, the value of music in our lives as listeners to it and as participators in it. And isn't it great to realize that in our modern society where so many of us have these handheld music devices and we're living, we're listening and, and taking in our music as an individual silo kind of event, that one of the few places still remaining where we can gather with other live humans and have the experience of making music or appreciating music is the church. To my mind, it really is one of the added values of what the church experience can be for people in our day. And we do it well. Thank you, music leaders. Thank you, music makers. Thank you, music appreciators. Uh, we're on our way to better health, better connection to God, uh, to better life. Amen.